Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, during this Christmas season, there's a lot to get caught up in. Uh, I know for one, it feels like as soon as Thanksgiving ended, there was like a switch that flipped uh, and everybody got into the holiday rush and everybody's going in a thousand directions at once. But we pray, Lord, that you would just allow us during this time, this morning in your presence, uh, to just focus in uh, and lean in and be present here in this moment uh, as you seek to speak to us and teach us what you have to say to us today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So when was the last time uh, that you had to give something a name? So you got a new pet, right? And you had to figure out what to call this new dog or cat or tarantula or whatever it is that you collect. Maybe you set up a new Wi-Fi network and you had to figure out what to call it to differentiate it between your house and the neighbor's house. Um, some of you like to name inanimate objects like your car. More power to you. I think that's okay. Or this is probably and obviously the most important thing that we name, right? We've got a lot of parents in the room, either new parents or parents that have been parents or maybe grandparents for a long time. And you had to choose a name at some point in your life for an actual, like, living, breathing human being that was going to be called that same name every single day for the rest of their lives. Uh, in this particular stage of life that I'm in, a lot of uh, Becky and my friends have just become parents. And so we've seen them go through this process of have kids and having kids and, and having to name them. And a lot of them have agonized over this decision, right? Because it's an important one. There's, there's a lot of pressure on that particular choice. And we agonize over those decisions, frankly, because uh, names matter. Uh, what we call other people, what we call ourselves, the labels that we wear, they tell the world uh, something about who we are right? And so when we're put in the position of choosing a name, what we usually do is we try to find something with uh, some level of significance, uh, a name that matters to us in some way or another. So some of you, right, have named your kids as a way of, of paying homage to somebody in your life that made an impact on you, made a difference for you in your life, or maybe even paying homage to a family member. Um, somebody that shaped you and molded you that's in your family, and you want to give them that connection to your family history. Uh, my best friend, Hank, uh, his full name is Dr. Henry Walter Spalding III. I think that's a pretty strong name. Uh, and his dad is Dr. Henry Walter Spalding II, obviously. And uh, his dad is a uh, theology professor and also a pastor, and my friend Hank is also a theology professor and a pastor. And I don't think that those two things are a coincidence. Uh, I think really giving him that connection, right, to his dad and his family probably shaped him in what he wanted to do with his life and the direction that he wanted to follow, that he too wanted to go into that line of work. And so when we give somebody a name, right, we give them uh, uh, something that bears weight, something that has a legacy to it, something that has meaning and influence. Others of you, you uh, named your kids with biblical names, right? Because you wanted to connect your kids to kind of a, their Christian heritage and to the Christian faith. Other people choose world leaders, uh, historical figures, characters from books or TV or movies that you care about. That's actually how my name uh, came about. My dad wanted to name me Clint uh, after Clint Eastwood. And my mom said, uh, no, we're going to give him a biblical name. Um, and so you can see who won that argument, right? 
But most of us, when we pick a name, we choose something with significance. There are very few of us uh, that just open a baby book and close our eyes and point to a name and hope, right, that we pick something that we like. Uh, one of my favorite naming stories from the last couple of years actually comes from uh, the UK. Uh, they were commissioning a new uh, vessel, a new ship in their Navy. Uh, it was actually an oceanic research ship. And what they did was they put a poll online. And they asked people to suggest names for this boat and then go online and vote for it, right? So some of the top names were um, Poppy Mai, uh, which was the name of a toddler who lived in the UK at that time who had cancer. Um, and so it was in a lot of people's minds. And so some people suggested, hey, how about we, we name it after her? Um, the other one was Hen the Henry Worsley. And so Henry Worsley was a British soldier that died in 2016. And they thought it would be a good idea um, to, to name the boat after him. But the top vote getter and the name that actually won the poll uh, was this. <laughs> Bodie McBoatface. Now, of course, the people that put that contest on faced a choice. Uh, do we go with the popular vote and have an official government vessel out there sailing around under the name Bodie McBoatface? Or do they go in a different direction and choose something that they want and, of course, make the public mad that their votes didn't count. Now, at the end of the day, uh, the ship ended up being named the RRS Sir David Attenborough, which is a much more uh, classy name, I feel like. And David Attenborough is uh, a historian and a broadcaster and somebody who's also a big conservationist, so it makes sense to have this exploratory vessel named after him. But the question is, right, is, is why didn't... Um, you can go on, Stephen. Uh, but the question is, right, why didn't they... Sorry, go back one. Um, what, they, what they did was, uh, and they ended up having the submersible, so the thing that goes off the side of the boat and actually does the exploration, they named that Bodie McBoatface, by the way. Um, so they honored it to a certain degree. But why didn't they want one of their official ships out there sailing around with this silly name? It's because names matter, right? They communicate something about us, about our mission, and about what we care about. And so then, with that in mind... I asked that question that uh, was up there a second ago. If you had the opportunity, what would you name the Messiah? What would you name the Son of God if you had the chance? Imagine being Mary and Joseph, right, with this baby in front of you, trying to decide what to call their new baby who was miraculously conceived and who would ultimately go on to save the world, right? With all of the, the names that have ever existed at your disposal, what would you call the savior of the world. It'd be a pretty tough decision, wouldn't it? Now, thankfully, they didn't have to decide uh, because God actually decided for them, which we'll see in a minute. He had a very specific name in mind for the savior. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at that story today. Uh, we read one version of it in Matthew. We're going to read a, a related account from the Gospel of Luke. Um, so if you have your Bibles and you want to follow along, you can. Uh, I'm going to read the scripture and kind of talk about it as we go along. It starts in uh, Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 26. And so what we heard a few minutes ago was uh, the account of the angel talking to Joseph. This is the account of that same angel talking uh, to Mary. And so it says this. It says, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy... Uh, and if you know uh, kind of your biblical history, you know that Elizabeth was actually Mary's cousin, okay? 
Um, and so Mary had gone, or Elizabeth rather, had gone through her entire life without being able to have kids. And she was an advanced age at this point, past childbearing age. And so it was a miracle that she ended up pregnant in the first place. And the angel actually appears to Elizabeth as well earlier in Luke's gospel. And, she, and the angel tells her, uh, you have a you're going to have a child and you're going to name him John. And his purpose is going to be to pave the way for the Messiah because the Messiah is on the way. And, of course, Elizabeth's son ends up being John the Baptist. And so God sends the angel, Gabriel, to Nazareth to a town called Galilee. And so we're given the, the, uh, the fact that it's Gabriel that's showing up. And Gabriel only shows up four times in the entire Bible, uh, twice in the book of Daniel, once uh, here to Joseph in Matthew, and once to Mary here in Luke's gospel. And every time the Messiah, or every time Gabriel shows up, he talks about the Messiah. And so when he shows up, you know that something about the Messiah is coming. And so it says that, Mary was a virgin, pledged to, a mar pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. And so Mary is engaged to Joseph. But their idea of engagement was a lot different than our idea of engagement. So if, if somebody in our culture gets engaged, they can break off that engagement without a whole lot of consequences other than the emotional and social ones, right? Emotional and social ones, right? Um, there is no legal consequence to breaking off an engagement for us. But in Joseph and Mary's day, there was. Uh, it was a legally binding engagement. So they weren't yet married, but Mary still belonged to Joseph and belonged to Joseph's family as soon as they became engaged. And so to break it off was a really messy thing. It was a legal thing, and it was really, really difficult to do. And in fact, if Joseph had died before they were able to get married, uh, Mary would have been considered a widow. Like, it's, it's that strongly binding as a commitment. And so it's a serious thing, right? When your betrothed wife shows up pregnant with a baby that is not yours, right? That is a major issue. And so it goes on and it says, This virgin's name was Mary, and the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. So when the angel shows up, Mary's concerned, and she's actually kind of afraid, because um, you can put yourself in her shoes, right? She's alone in her room. She's a teenager at this point. She's probably 15, 16 years old, something like that. And so this angel just shows up, and she might have thought for a second that she was going crazy. So she's wondering, like, what are the intentions of this angel that just appeared in front of me? And actually, um, there's uh, a kind of an urban legend and a myth that was circulating amongst Hebrew culture at that time about an angel that would show up and actually kill brides before their wedding day. It's kind of like a scary stories that you tell in the dark kind of thing. And so maybe when this angel shows up, Mary, like those scary stories from the campfire, like show up in the back of Mary's mind. And she's like, is, is this angel, is it going to hurt me? What's going to happen? It says that she's scared. Uh, literally, in Greek, it says that she is terrified with fear, which I think is kind of a funny way of saying it, um, but it's for emphasis, right? She's terrified. What is she terrified with? Fear. So just getting it across that she's pretty freaked out. But the angel says to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, 
and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. So we started off a couple minutes ago, right, by talking about this process of giving things a name. And so this morning, I want to focus on verse 31 from Luke chapter 1, which we just read, where it says, uh, what's on the screen, you, whoops, go back one, <laughs> that you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. This is really similar, obviously, to what we read a couple minutes ago in Matthew 1, where it says that she will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. And so first of all, notice, like I said earlier, that Mary and Joseph don't get to name the baby. Like, uh, God doesn't really want to leave that decision in their hands. Um, he leaves a lot of other things up to Mary and Joseph, but what to, be, what to call the Messiah, that's going to be up to God. Because God knows, right, that this is going to be the name that is printed and spoken and prayed to and proclaimed and worshipped for thousands and thousands of years, and God doesn't want to leave that choice up to them. Right, because he knows that Joseph will probably want to call him Clint Eastwood of Nazareth or something like that. <laughs> and so God just wants to avoid that whole problem. And he picks a really specific name. And he picks the name Jesus. Now let's talk about that name for a second. I don't know if you've ever really sat down and thought about the name Jesus before or have maybe done some research on what it means. But historically speaking... And most of us realize this, right? Mary and Joseph uh, didn't speak English. They spoke a combination of Aramaic and Hebrew. And so here's a little history lesson for you. Uh, Jesus' name in Hebrew is actually Yeshua. That's Jesus' given name, and it's printed there in, in the GPS if you want to look at it. And Yeshua is, is a combination of two words in Hebrew. Uh, the proper name for God, which is Yahweh, and the word Hosea, which means salvation. And so you get Yah, Hosea, or Yeshua. And so the name Jesus literally means, right, God saves, God delivers. You go to the next one for me, Stephen. Or God rescues. Or the Lord is salvation. That's what, that's what Yeshua means. And what happened over time, right, is that you had to translate that name into different languages. And so the very first translation was into Greek because it was a Greek-speaking world that surrounded um, Jesus and his family. Most of the New Testament is written in Greek. And so when we see Jesus' name in the Greek language, um, they don't have a way to say the sh sound. So they can't say Yeshua. So eventually what it became as the people, as people wrote the New Testament, as people translated Jesus' name into Greek, was Yesu. Eventually Greek was translated into Latin, and in Latin uh, there's, no, uh, there's no way to end a word on a vowel, right? So then it became Yesus. And as you translate Latin into English, a lot of times I's and J's are interchangeable, so Yesus became Jesus. They switch the I and the J. I think that's pretty interesting uh, because we just call Jesus Jesus because that's what we've been taught to call him. But that's actually the, kind of the history of Jesus' name. Now, hopefully it doesn't freak you out uh, or make you think that you've been calling Jesus the wrong name this whole time. 
Um, because just like in English, right, we would call somebody John, but in Spanish we'd call them Juan, or in German we'd call them Johan, right? It's all the same name. It all refers to the same person. It's just a different language's interpretation of that name. But the meaning is the same. God saves. And so as God is sending Jesus into the world, he gives him a name that fits his identity. And he says, hey, just in case all of these signs aren't enough for you, right? So all the fulfilled prophecies, the star appearing in the sky, the angel appearing to Joseph, the angel appearing to Mary, the angel appearing to the wise men, the angel appearing to the shepherds, and even the miraculous conception itself. In case those aren't enough for you to figure out who this guy is, I'm just going to give him a name that states it plainly. Jesus. God saves. Now, it's really easy to just blow past this detail of Jesus' name because we've read this Christmas story, we've heard the Christmas story, right, probably hundreds of times. Those of you that have been in church for decades probably think you know the story. But this act, right, of giving the Son of the Most High a name, a human, earthly name, is actually really significant. Because what we get in Jesus' name alone is actually a summary of Jesus' purpose. We learn two things, if you want to put that up for me, Stephen. We learn uh, what we need, which is saving, and we learn where that salvation comes from, which is from God, through Jesus' name. And so first we discover what we need. See, a lot of times I think our culture uh, gets the meaning of Christmas wrong. And not because we make it about gifts and presents and commercialism and consumerism. But around this time of year, what you hear is people in our culture getting kind of sentimental. And they say, you know, the true meaning of Christmas is that love will win in the end. And, and the key to solving all of our problems is just unity and peace. And if we could all just get on the same page with unity and peace, we would solve all the world's problems. If the, if the human race could just get over our silly squabbles and our religions and our ideologies and just embrace love for one another, then we could end war and poverty and injustice and everything that's wrong in our world. But the problem with that line of thinking is that it puts us back at the center. It says that if we try hard enough, we can rescue ourselves. Right, that, that we have the ability uh, to change our fundamental situation if we just shed our baggage and feel warm and fuzzy enough about one another. But if we're honest, what we know about ourselves that there is that there is something that is fundamentally broken inside of each of us. That left to our own devices, we will always come back to our own selfishness, we will always come back to our own self-destructive decisions, and we will always cause one another pain because there is something that is fundamentally broken inside of us. And the truth is, is that if humanity could have fixed that fundamental problem, we would have found a way to do it by now. The Greek philosophers tried the Enlightenment thinkers tried, the Renaissance men tried, most recently the modern scientific age has tried. But if we were capable of fixing ourselves, God would have sent us a politician. Or he would have sent us a motivational speaker. Or he would have sent us a great teacher. But instead, what God sent us was a savior. Someone to reach in the fire and pull us out. 
Because there's something deeper there, something that we can't fix, and we need help from outside of ourselves. We don't need a helping hand to guide us to safety. We need someone to pick us up and carry us all the way. It's 2019, and so we are about to turn the corner into an election year. Who's excited? Yeah. And over the next year, everyone is going to try to tell you, right, that we will finally bring peace and prosperity and solve all of your problems if, Stephen, you want to put uh, the first picture up, if we elect this guy, or the next one, if we elect her. All right, you can, you can go forward, Stephen. By the way, uh, Googling crazy and then the name of a politician gives you some really cool and interesting pictures, uh, which is what I did there. Now, I love our country, and I love democracy and capitalism and the Constitution and all those things that come with it, but our country, no country, is the solution for the problem of sin. And the real meaning of Christmas is pretty much the opposite of every single campaign slogan that says that we can solve our fundamental brokenness with the right policy or the right person in office or the right amount of unity as a country. I even fear this sometimes for the church, uh, that some of us fall into the trap of thinking that the sole purpose of the church is just for people to come together. That the church is just a nice expression of community where we're nice to each other in a world where people are usually mean to each other. But a group of people gathering inside of a church building just to be nice to each other and hear a nice talk and smile at one another is still just a group of sinful people trying to fix a problem that they can't solve. But the gathering that we call church begins to matter when it becomes a group of people who gather under this name of Jesus and who are led by the power and led by the guidance of the Holy Spirit to do its work in the world. That's what makes the church different. It's not about nice people who gather together in community. It's about a people who somewhere along the way admitted that our salvation had to come from outside of ourselves and that we now gather for the sake of bringing that salvation to other people. And so the name of Jesus, the Lord is salvation, right? The name of Jesus is a reminder, first of all, that we need a Savior. The second thing is that the name of Jesus reminds us who does the saving. And in Christmas, what we celebrate is a unique historical event that happened about 2,000 years ago where God came to earth and he took on flesh and he took up residence right here among us. We've called that the incarnation. That's the theological word for it. And the incarnation was necessary for a lot of reasons, but the primary reason is that it was because God needed to intervene. We needed saving, and it was God that needed to come in and rescue us. And the incarnation shows us that God is not willing to let any part of our lives out of his reach. There is no part of our lives as human beings that will be untouched by his grace. You see, because if God was going to send his son into the world to, to live and die as a human being, then what God was going to do is he was going to infiltrate every single minute part of our experience to do it. One of the kind of grim realities of life, right, is that as soon as we're conceived, as soon as our heart starts beating, a timer starts, right? And, and it just starts ticking down until we die. 
When sin entered the world, death entered for every single person. And so even though when we are conceived, we're just barely growing into a human being, our life is already ticking down towards its inevitable end. It's kind of a paradox, right? That the moment we start living the moment is the same moment that we actually start dying. But that's why Jesus showed up as an infant. Right? God could have very easily fashioned like a 30-year-old body and just son of God in that 30-year-old body and had him start talking to people in the Middle East like he did. But doing that wouldn't have been taking on the fullness of our humanity, would it? And so in order to redeem everything that it means to be human, God embraces these tiny moments of our existence, right? God became a fetus inside of a womb, fed by an umbilical cord, sliding down a birth canal, hit with the cold air of the world for the first time, and letting out a very human cry before being swaddled and called for the first time that name, Jesus. And God went all of that way to identify with you and with me. That's the truth of Christmas, right? That the God who came to save us came to save all of us. From the moment we're conceived to the moment we take our last breath and move on to an eternity, God has already been there and done that. And the fact that Jesus, the fact that God has a human name should remind us of that fact. In the book of Romans, Paul writes, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And when we call on his name, we are remembering our belief in these two things. That we needed saving, and God did the saving. And so today, if you're somebody who's never called on that name to save you, to address that fundamental problem of your brokenness, then this is your invitation to call on him. And say with faith the name that is above every other name, Jesus. And if you're someone who already calls on that name daily, remember this season to celebrate Christmas with a joyful and grateful heart for the lengths that God went to redeem you, to be born, to live, and to die as a human being, to show us that there is power in the name of Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, for um, this fact, we just give you thanks and praise that you took on flesh, came to dwell among us, and just took on the fullness of our humanity, that you took that brokenness, and you have redeemed it, you've restored it, and even in this very moment, Lord, you draw us closer to yourself so that we don't have to experience that brokenness anymore. Lord, allow us this Christmas and Advent season to remember the lengths that you went to to save us from our sins, and allow us to call on your name continually. Jesus, as we pray that prayer that he taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will. And now you can remain seated as we sing together our prayer hymn for this morning, It Came Upon the Midnight Clear.